welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Every once in a while, I go browsing social media looking for people who have thoughts, ideas, good discussion on us boomers, mid-agers, and That concept that increasingly eludes definition, retirement. My guest today has written an ebook that starts with, we have been sold a bill of goods. It continues with, after we graduate from high school, we all choose one of three directions. We're either going to college, going to the military, or going to work. At some point, most of us are going to meet that special someone, fall in love, get married, and have babies. Once the kids are out of high school and ready to start their own lives, we're probably in our mid-40s. We look up and say, I'm 45 years old. Boy, retirement at 65 is only 20 years away. That's not so far off. So you get to age 65 and retire. If you're lucky, you have 10 good years to travel and do the things you always talked about doing. See the Grand Canyon, spend time in Costa Rica, ride your Harley Davidson across America, and so on. Well, I was still on the first page and I became so aware of how many people age 55 and over would be nodding and saying, uh, yep, just like sheep in a pen. And don't take offense at my sheep comment. If you have to agree, the status quo is called the status quo for a reason. If you shook your head and said, that's not me, more power to you. I hope you share your adventure in the comments for this episode. Honestly and sincerely, I love hearing from people who have broken out of the mold. But I've done enough talking for him. Let me introduce my guest, Eric Gaddy. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Agnes. Eric, I want to start at the beginning because I think your beginning has given you a unique view of life. Can you share with our listeners about the family business you grew up in? Absolutely. Yes. The family business I grew up in was a mortuary. And as a kid, I didn't know any different. As most would when you're growing up and you're little, you might go to work with your mom during the summertime when school is not in. Well, I did the same, but I was going to work at the mortuary doing various jobs until about age seven or eight when I started helping my mom move bodies. And that didn't seem weird at the time. I didn't know any better. But looking back on it as an adult, I'm like, well, that that was sort of odd. But um, that really planted the seeds for really my life to where the progression went as I got older. So I think what impacted me about that experience, because I did help my mom out until I was 18 and then went off to college. But I think the the, the one thing that impacted me 
was maybe going to church or going to the grocery store and seeing somebody that was living a week ago that has passed away. And what I realized was there were a lot of people that passed away because they had been sick for a while. Wasn't unexpected. But the story I like to tell people uh, even today is there were a lot of people that woke up that morning and didn't know it was their last day. So I've always been sort of the life is short guy. You know, it's really enjoy your life because tomorrow is not guaranteed. And and as I went on throughout my life, that has been the reoccurring theme. And that has been the uh, the really the, the seeds that the book came out of. Now, having read the book, I get the impression, though, that to a certain extent, you still bought the bill of goods. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. I uh, I went to college, got an economics degree, got out, immediately started in the financial advising business. I, I like many other people, just went on autopilot. I had two children, didn't really look up until about age 40, and started paying a little bit more of attention. My kids were older, and I started looking at just, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'm 25 years away from 65. And that's what kind of society paints the picture is really 65 is what everybody's shooting for to retire. But, you know, I looked at it to where I was waking up a little bit. And what really jolted me out of that was my sister passed away at age 51. And then soon after, I had a business partner that passed away at age 47. And both of them passed away from cancer. And it's almost like it just jolted me out of autopilot. I I woke up. I kind of took an assessment of my life. And at that point in time, I had four financial planning offices spread out. I realized that I had built my own prison. I couldn't travel. I hadn't taken a vacation in five years. I remember going to an investment conference with a bunch of advisors and just looking around the room and and seeing all these 70 and 75-year-old advisors still doing the business. And I'm like, that's not going to be me. And so what I decided is I needed to make a change. And I ended up selling my practice at 48 and and just needed a break. Um, And I always suggest to folks that, you know, when when you get to that point, because a lot of people do, it's just about rewriting your story. It's about changing the narrative of a bit. And for me, you know, I, I roamed around a little bit in my RV. I, I went to Mexico and took a little break. And I came back two years later feeling that, hey, you know, I, I'm refreshed. I, I have some ideas of what I want to do. Now, during that time, I wrote the book, Retire Early, What Are You Waiting For? Because even though I was a financial advisor for years, and we were always taught to get people to age 65. That's the way we were trained through, you know, our base training in financial advising is get people to 65. Well, not one person in my whole career has ever said, hey, let's try to get people retired early if they can. And so that was the point where I felt like I needed to write this book because people needed to hear that they can retire early if they get certain things in line. At, at the risk of offending the financial advisor in you, it's really tempting to get into, you know, debt assets, income, right. liabilities. Uh, that's covered in many places. Mm-hmm. Can we go straight to that word? What, how do you define retirement? You know, cause I know you've, you've experimented with it yourself. You've probably seen lots of people 
doing one thing or another? Yeah, my definition of retirement's a little bit different. It is to do what you want, when you want, how you want, and from where you want. It's really being a, it's really about controlling your own time. I mean, if you think about, if you work for somebody else, who's, who's controlling that time? They are. If you work for yourself, are you really in control of your time? Some people are and some people aren't. But if you're retired, that means that you're fully in control of your, your time. And you can do all those things that I mentioned I mean, from wherever you want to. And for some people, they think the retirement definition is you're just going to be done. You can go sit in the recliner and watch the prices right every morning and you have no real responsibilities. I mean, it's complete freedom. But we know what happens when when you do that. I mean, that's not a good outcome. So I think with retirement, you're able to define it yourself. Um, you're in control. You You control your time. If you want to go get a part-time job, go get a part-time job. If you want to go volunteer, go volunteer. It, it's all about not letting society define what your retirement should look like. You're in control of that definition of what retirement looks like. What does your yours look like? It may be very different than other family members or other friends, but that's okay. It's your definition. It's nobody else's. So that's what I find is the is kind of the open part of retirement is you take control and you do exactly what you want to do by nobody else's definition. I'm going to drift slightly off topic, perhaps in a way. Um, some people I've seen in different groups and you know forums and stuff like that, they worry about you know, the reaction of my family or my grandchildren, like I really want to go live in, you know, Mexico or Costa Rica, but, you know, like I won't see my children or, you know, like, oh, you know, somebody's going to disagree with me. My friends think I'm crazy. Um, And it really holds them back. What do do you say to those people? Well, I think, you know, knowing a lot of people that have done that, they got a little bit of pushback when they announced to their family, hey, we're going to move to Ecuador. However, once that mom and dad get to Ecuador, it it is a joyous event for the kids to start coming down and visiting and staying for the summers. And I I think the reaction changes quite a bit when it's in motion and people are actually living that. But, you know, for a lot of people, that's an argument that, hey, I I couldn't leave my grandkids. I can't do this because of my, my kids. And that's going to be the thought process that everybody goes through. I think it makes it a little bit more difficult when the kids start pulling on, you know, the shirt tails and saying, hey, you know, you can't go, you can't go. Who, you know, who's going to babysit my kids for during the week while I'm working? So I think it's it's one you have to talk through. Every family's a little different. You have to kind of process what's the fear, what's the what's the anxiety that's causing the family members just to hold on so so tight. So I, I think you know, it could get kind of, I joke about sometimes, sometimes they're entitled children. And sometimes entitled children don't want mom and dad to leave because whether that's the open wallet or whether that's the babysitter, you know, and I I suggest to people, you're just going to have to kind of work through that. You know, this is your life. This is your goal. This isn't their goal. This is your goal. You want to move to a foreign country. You want to enjoy the culture. You want to enjoy the new lifestyle. And I think they have to unpack that with their children or whoever's given sort of the uh, the resistance. In my own case, I 
I was standing in my own way. You know, I was coming up with all these sort of semi-excuses. And last winter, my two daughters finally said to me, um, when are you moving? And I looked at them and I said, like, well, you know, (laughs) Um, and they said, I I said, why do you need somewhere to go on holiday? That's cheap accommodation. And they went, well, that's part of it. But you've been talking about it for so long. Why don't you just darn well do it? So, yeah, it's funny, too. And I think, you know, you've talked about communication. I think that's got to be paramount because. Until my two daughters said, like, you've been talking about it. Why don't you just do it? I just always was, you know, making up these excuses in my head. Yeah, and I think that that happens when you think that they're going to react one way and, and and you're grateful that it's another reaction. And I think communication, whether you're taking off and going or being across the country for a half a year or whether you're moving to a foreign country. I mean, it's it's key, especially when there's grandkids involved and especially when they're, you know, the family is so close by. It's another thing if you're in an RV and you're going to go across the country to see your grandkids. Yeah. And, and that's very much a fact of life these days is families do get spread out all over the, the, the continent and the globe. So yeah. 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 Talking about, you know, doing things and, you know, your adventures and, you know, your lifestyle choices might be a good segue into regrets. Um, and I'm not getting personal here, but you do mention some of your clients in your book. Can you address, you know, regrets? Let, let me start out here. I recently saw a video about uh, this chalkboard that was set up in a public place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, people would just come up and write their regrets. Mm-hmm. I regret and whatever. Mm-hmm. Every single one was about something they didn't do or didn't say. Not one regret was some, about something they did do. And that was just so eye-opening that, you know, how often do we, oh, I wish, you know, and then you get to the end and it's, oh, I regret, I wish I'd done this or, I, you know, why didn't I do that? Yeah, I think regret is if you talk to folks in their 80s and 90s and especially folks that are very sick, regret can be something that can take a hold of them. And I think that's one of the big things is it's not, it wasn't regretting what they were doing. It was regretting what they didn't get around to do. And I even have people in my life right now that are older that I can tell that are, that have some regrets, they're working through it. And it is something that, you know, when we retire, you know, whether it's 55 or 65, and then we go off traveling, we go off doing stuff, we're working in the garden, we're still staying active. But when you get to 75 or let's say medically you slow down or you get to 80 and you can't do the things you can, you know, you could do before. I think people sometimes get stuck in their head and regret is some of those those thoughts that come out. And that's why I'm a big cheerleader of trying to get people to do it now. Um, We just don't know what's going to be around the corner. And we all know stories of people that you know, Bob that you worked with for, for 35 years at a company and Bob retires at 65 and six months later, Bob's dead. You know, he never got to do the things he wanted to do. So it's like, you know, there's bumper stickers all around here that say, don't postpone joy. And I, and I totally agree with that. I think that life is about memories. It's about making memories and you can't wait till you're 65 or 70 to make those memories. Obviously through our, our life, we're making memories daily 
But at 80 years old, when you're sick and you're confined to a chair or 85 or 90, you could have all the money in the world and that's not going to do you any good. But those memories are going to stick with you, those fun times. And I think that's what people regret is not creating more memories. And, and what a good way, you know, like you talk about the person who's 80, perhaps lying in a bed, incapacitated in some way. Boy, the conversations that come up around those memories, you know, are just so joyful and life-affirming, I think, too. So, yeah, really, really good point about uh, the, the memories that you make. Well, and I had experience when I was about nine years old. My mother would go out and take me to the nursing homes because she was always, you know, visiting people and she knew all the families in town for the most part. But one time that struck me the most and it stayed with me all my life. We went out to see a young man and he was probably 25 in an iron lung, you know, for polio patients. And he was trapped his entire life. I mean, I think he went into the iron lung, my mom said about five, years old he ended up living till about 40 and it scared me as a kid because of the machine and just seeing him lying in it and as I've gotten older I've remembered that and just kind of processed it is you know we we all talk about being trapped in different ways and in different parts of our lives and I was talking about being trapped in my job but this guy was truly trapped he he had he had no way of getting out of that iron lung. And so I, I look back on, you know, as fortunate as I am, most of us can get out of, un, you know, trap situations. We we can fit, find our way out. This guy couldn't. And uh, that is just a memory. We talk about memories. Some memories are are very positive with our children. And some memories are are kind of scary in the sense of, I would never want to be in that situation. An interesting parallel that I'm just seeing in my mind too is, you know, you talk about this, this young man trapped, like physically completely trapped in his iron lung. And, you know, how often are we trapped in our life when we have the option? And even as we get older, you know, we have, um, you know, medical things that say, I do not want to be put on life support if, you know, that, that there is no quality of life. You know, we have the ability to make all those choices. And yet too often, you know, we don't make sort of those life enhancing yeah. memory building choices. So, yeah, perhaps remember yeah. the young man in the iron lung, because most yeah. of us are old enough to remember somebody who was touched by polio, you know, so. Yep. Okay, in your book, you use a quote that I love, and I've posted a number of times, and I'm going to read it. Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, I'm using my hands here, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, whoa, what a ride. Now, that's the chapter called Simplify Your Life. Talk to us about simplifying your life. Well, I think simplifying your life can be in several different areas. Uh, I think mostly it's used as a, you know, we got clutter, we have stuff. A lot of times stuff is running our lives and 
you know, once you start, you know, unpacking things that you haven't touched in years. And I mean, you're doing it now with your move. It's, it's one of those that, you know, it's, it's a therapeutic process. I know when I moved from North Carolina to Massachusetts, it was, we got a dumpster and it was, we filled up the dumpster. We got rid of a lot of stuff we had not touched in a year or two. And so when we talk about simplifying, I think a lot of times that's directed towards stuff, not letting our stuff control our lives. I think simplifying our lives can also mean finances is, you know, you've got 10 different investment accounts spread out all over the place. You could certainly make life a whole lot easier for yourself if you started consolidating that. And I think simplifying your life can be just an overall 10,000 foot view down. It's, it's really kind of waking up out of that autopilot, which a lot of people are in and really taking a self-diagnostic of, Hey, where am I now? Am I, am I truly happy? And you know, what, what makes me happy? You know, again, what can I do to make good memories? My time is running out. What, you know, what, what does life look like from here on out? And I think simplifying our lives could be relocating somewhere across the country. So it's a pretty wide definition definition of what I talk about in the book, you know, and, and it can be used kind of as a swivel word in simplifying a lot of aspects. Yeah. As you mentioned, we talked before we uh, clicked the record button and in my move, I, I have these lovely antiques and I love them. And for the last few moves, it's just like come hell or high water. I'm going to find a home for these things. And then recently my daughter bought a house and she's in her mudroom going, oh, I just need to get a bench so that the kids who are like two and four, you know, have something to either lean on or climb on to get shoes on, boots off. Well, I have a lovely antique bench that I do not have room for in my new place. And, you know, like I used the word precious when we were talking earlier. And, you know, would you rather have something precious tied up in a storage locker or would you rather have it not so precious helping new young people create memories and put a few scuffs in it. And, you know, there's going to be a ding in it now that was where, you know, somebody threw something, you know, like all that stuff, just creating more memories and, and just getting past that whole, it's so precious. It's so, you know, whatever, because especially my generation, we all know that these antiques, I love them. They're beautiful. The kids do not want them. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I, you know, that the, the crystal and the China and the, you know, generation after generation has passed that on. And it's like this new generation. They're like, nope, we don't care for that. And even my parents are 80 years old and they have two barns full of old furniture. And every time I go down, they're like, Why don't you take some? I'm like, I don't need that. I, I don't want it. I'm simplifying my life as it is, but I asked them, I said, please, can you go through that before, you know, anything happens? So we know, so I know, you know, what is precious and what is not precious. On a side note, my other sister, my one died at 51, my other sister died at 60. So now it's just me left where, and and that's the process I'm going through with my parents is, is it's time to start going through this stuff. You have a lot of stuff that you have not touched in 10 years. Let's start going through that. And so I'm, I'm trying to gingerly encourage that process of downsizing and simplifying. 
Yeah. I think, too, when you come to that realization that, A, nobody wants the antiques. You mentioned the china. Um, I have my mother's china, and I know that nobody – I don't know when it was used last, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I've got a couple of crafty daughters, and I've said, instead of sending this to the dump, why don't you start looking at some crafts that you can do with broken china? Break it and let it live on in another form. You know, like it's yeah. – and auctions, things – nothing goes at the auction for any money, like not this sort of stuff anyways. So, you know, coming to that realization, I think it, it's helped me anyways, sort of go like, okay, like what's this precious thing's next life? You know, right. in, in my life, it's been this sort of precious. Let's make it some other sort of fun thing in somebody else's life without it going to the landfill. You know, and that doesn't always have to be a physical reminder Again, it's about memories, and that could be a mental reminder. So I know my mom has one thing that I'm like, the, the only thing that I really want is this. J. She had a letter from JFK. My grandfather was in politics, and there's a handwritten letter. And so I go home last time, and she's like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't want anything. I said, but where's that JFK letter? And she's like, I have no idea where it is. <laughs> so I'm like, well, if it's gone, I've got the memory. I have <laughs> viewed it. I know what it looks like. And so, you know, it doesn't always have to be in physical form. It could be in mental form as well. The memories that, you know, of these pieces of crystal and China and the precious gifts from other generations. Yeah. Yeah. No, I won't even go there. I was going to just give another example really quickly, but I won't. We've talked about your book. Tell us about your book. I was browsing through it and I went, oh my God, he's, he talks about that. Oh my God, he talks about that. <laughs> and it was really, really interesting sort of how, I don't know how many topics you uh, you cover in your book. Yeah, the first part of the book is more of the how to retire early. And the second part of the book is more of the lifestyles of what people are doing. Again, when you retire early at 55, you're generally retiring to something. You're not re- you're not necessarily running away from something, although you could be, but you are retiring to something that's exciting, that generally is fun. Um, so the first part of the book is the how-to part. And I created a concept called Dial Into Retirement, which DIAL stands for, it's an acronym for Debt, Income, Assets, and Lifestyle. And when you put those four things together and they're in sync, you can retire at any age. So a, a, retirement shouldn't be age-based. It's really once you get your financials in order and you have a plan that you can retire with confidence. And that's the key is, is too many people worry about money when they're not retired. You really don't want to worry about money when you're retired. So it's about having that plan and making sure that plan works for you in retirement. That second half of the book is lifestyle, where we talk about people jumping in their RV, selling their home and taking off across the country and living full time just wandering around. We talk about expats, you know, moving to Costa Rica, Mexico, Ecuador. And I interviewed a lot of expats about their experience with some of these countries as well. And then, uh, and then it's just simplifying life. You know, oftentimes uh, people retire and they find themselves in 3000 square feet and studies show you're only using four rooms. So, you know, the kitchen, the den, the bedroom and the bathroom but yet you're paying for all these this other square footage through property tax. So a lot of times people are just going, hey, I, I want a condo or I, I want to you know, transition to a 
1,200 square foot house, or I'm going to relocate across the country and I'm moving out of the Northeast where it's super expensive, but I'm going to Florida. And so it, that simplification, again, as we talked about earlier, can can swivel in different directions, but it's more about downsizing and and really enjoying your life. And that's that's where a lot of times I'm different from a lot of advisors is, is that a lot of advisors will look at just the financials. What I want to look at first before the financials is the lifestyle. You know, I always say there's a four-step process in retirement. One is when the seed is planted. Hey, I think I want to retire. I don't like this job as much as I used to, or I'm just getting restless. I want to travel. So that's that's the first mental part. The seed is planted. The second is lifestyle. Well, what, what are you going to do when you retire? You know, are you going to travel? Are you just going to stay at home and garden? Are you going to relocate? So you have to figure that out second. The third is the financial. Let's make sure the numbers are right. And then the fourth part is the other mental step that is the hardest for a lot of people. You know that your numbers are good. You know exactly what you want to do. You're ready, but you just can't pull the trigger to tell your boss that you're you're retiring. So for a lot of people, that is the most difficult step is to say, I'm putting in my notice, I'm retiring. So that fourth mental step is 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 something that people have to process kind of at their own speed when they're ready. And what I read into what you were saying was that at some point in time, your life has to become more important than your boss's life. Well, exactly. And your time has to become more important than your boss's time. So I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. that but you'll, most people know when they're ready. And, and it's time. Some people just hang on and they struggle. And that can be a, a struggle because they don't want to lose their identity. It can be a struggle that maybe their investment plan they don't feel confident about. So there's a lot of different ways that they could struggle making that final leap from you know their working life to their, their retirement life. Well, and I think you said an important thing just a little few minutes ago was that you're retiring to something. So, and, and to reframe it in your mind of you may, maybe leaving the job, you may be leaving the career, whatever, but what can you retire to and, and make that a positive picture, make that something that is where you want to be, where you want to go um, and think of it as retiring to in, instead of retiring from. Yeah. I've met people over my career as an advisor. I've been doing this for 29 years and I've met people who weren't, who were financially prepared, but weren't mentally prepared. And they literally had never thought through what they're going to do in retirement. So come Monday after they retire, it's almost like they're lost. Maybe they had a list of projects that lasted for two weeks, but oftentimes you'll see folks like that go back to work because they've somewhat lost their purpose. And I think if you can plan ahead and you can determine, you know, this is what makes me happy. This is what I want to spend time doing in various forms. Then you will retire not only with confidence that your plan is good. Hopefully you've gone through that, but also you're going to retire, you know, content knowing I'm going to follow my passion. I'm going to develop a new hobby. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do all the things that I never had time to do. And that's where I think being in control of your time, your definition of retirement is your own. I mean, you're free to define it however you want to. At the risk of offending a few gentlemen who might be listening, I think men often have their much of their identity wrapped up mm -hmm. in their careers. Mm 
several couples I know, the women are close friends of mine, and they've actually said to their husbands, you retire whenever, you know, this month, you know, six months, whatever, I will retire six months after you, because you need six months to figure out something, because we're not going to be joined at the hip when we when we're both retired. And, you know, and it's worked well in in the cases that I've seen, you know, the fellows have found those passions or those things they want to do those interests. And, uh, and when the wife retires, she then pursues the stuff that she's been, you know, pursuing anyways, but and enjoying so. Yeah, I think there is an identity issue. And oftentimes it is with men. You know, and I understand that to agree because I, I've seen that over my 29 year career. But the, you know, for me, I look at it as when it's my time, nah, I'm not going to have an identity crisis. I'll just go right into retirement and be completely fine. But, you know, there's, I do have a funny story about that. When I was, I was married, my wife had an aunt and uncle and the aunt was a stay at home wife and the uncle worked at General Motors. And had worked there for like 40 years. And when he went to retire, he was talking to his wife and he said that I, I would like to retire here in the next few months. And she's like, that's completely fine. You can retire. But I tell you what, every morning at 730, you know, you can take your lunch out of here and you can go wherever you're going to go. Don't care where you're going to go. But you're not allowed back into this house until five o'clock. She goes, you will not ruin my schedule. I've got a weekly schedule that I go do, and you're not going to ruin it. So retire if you want to, but you're still disappearing somewhere else during the week. So he was like, wow. Since I can't really come home and just be home, I, I might as well work a few more years. So he ended up working a few more years. It's, I, I heard that story from them, and it was just hilarious because he's rolling his eyes, and she was serious. You're not coming back into this house. <laughs> so, Well, I know the exact same story because um, this is a, a lot of years ago, but for friends of mine, the neighbor across the street retired, and he was. He was following his wife all around the house. So she got to the point where she would get up early, pack his lunch like she'd always did, walk him to the door, hand him his lunch bag and say, don't come back. She, he could even sit in the garage. She didn't care. He wasn't allowed back in the house until five o'clock. <laughs> oh, dear. And hopefully that generation is, you know, like the next generation, like maybe even my generation where, you know, both parties have been gainfully employed and perhaps more interests. It wasn't quite as, you know, uh, beaver cleaver kind of family upbringing, but uh, yeah. Just, well, and so. I think that brings up another point. I, I, I think through that planning of lifestyle, if you're a couple, you know, it really helps a lot to be in sync. You know, you have people that are mountain people or people that are beach people. And it's like you have people that want to travel, people that don't want to travel. And, you know, if you're married to somebody who doesn't want to travel, but you really want to travel. So, I, you know, it comes back to what we talked about early on, communication, maybe some give and take. And it's uh, and I've seen that work to where one person was geared to do one thing in retirement. The other spouse is geared to do something else. And it's like, you know, there's got to be some compromise here or. That could be some issues that are brewing that, you know, you got to work through. Yeah. We've sort of drifted away from the book and I'm going to go back to the book because some of the things that blew me away, you haven't even mentioned, like you talk about motor homes. Will you explain the differences between 
motorhomes in terms of class A or class B. You talk about tiny houses. It was so interesting. As I say, I kept on saying, is there anything he's not talking about in here? (laughs) (laughs) I covered a wide spectrum. So, you know, with RVs, obviously RVs, especially right before COVID uh, or during COVID, they became very popular. So you have Class A, which is normally the bigger ones. It's uh, a diesel or gas RV where you have the engine in it. And uh, these are anywhere from generally 32 to 40 feet in length. And so these are the big motorhomes that you are seeing driving up and down the road. The Class B are typically vans. You know, these are the smaller uh, Mercedes Sprinter vans that have the bed and the bathroom and, you know, very confined, but still a mobile little home. And so there's a variety of different RVs out there. It's just for, for travel purposes, obviously fantastic. And some, and again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, some people are living in them full time. Some people are living in them for six months and just wandering around the country. There are people that are chasing 70 degrees every year. So they might be in the Northeast in the, uh, in the summertime and they might be or higher elevation in Colorado or, and then in the wintertime, they're down in Florida or Arizona. So yeah, I always say if you don't <laughs> like, you know, if you're in an RV, you don't like your scenery, you don't like the what's in front of you, turn the key and move on. So it gives you a lot of flexibility. You know, with tiny houses, obviously tiny houses have become very popular. And I think it's reducing people's footprint. It's reducing, you know, obviously property tax in a lot of cases and just making living more efficient. And again, I think going back to what we were talking about earlier with the stuff, you know, just people having a lot of stuff. Well, in a tiny house, you can't have a lot of stuff. So I think it's more minimal living, which I think is fantastic. And off-grid living, you know, I'm pulled to off-grid living. I mean, I, I just, growing up as a kid in the 70s, I used to love watching Little House on the Prairie and just the, the simple life, no cell phones, you know, electricity. I, so I've always thought that off-grid living, cabin in the woods, um <laughs> was the way I wanted to go as well as, I mean, in an ideal world, I think I would like to have a cabin in the woods here. And uh, it's been about six months down in Ecuador. That's what I coach and I promote to people is, is what does your best life look, look like? Your best life could be no changes whatsoever, but what's going to bring you passion, happiness, Again, we go back to what we talked about earlier, the the life is not guaranteed. So make memories now and enjoy life. And, you know, whether it's a tiny house or whether it's off-grid living in a cabin in the woods or whether it's an RV or whether it's, you know, taking five cruises a year or um, traveling the world. It's an open, it's a blank sheet of paper. It's a blank sheet of paper for people to to define, you know, what that retirement is going to look like. You've just given away part of what I talk about further on. I will say that, you know, you, you've sort of said your cabin in the woods because I mentioned to you that I am moving to a cabin in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things on my bucket list was living in a cabin in the woods. People will say to me, uh, oh, my God, how big is it? Because I say it's a tiny, tiny house. And and I sort of and I'm, I've gotten over it now because I used to sort of go, you know, but now I say it's 400 square feet. And there's not one person that says 
that sounds great. That sounds cool. They're all going like, oh, my God, how are you going to manage? You know, so it's sort of interesting. And, you know, maybe bonus points for me because I have to downsize. So, uh, yeah, in that regard. It's- you know, and I love that. And, and and that brings up a point that I talk about a lot is society expectations. I, I think we were all from grade school, you know, fall in line. We're going to walk in a straight line down to the cafeteria. And, uh, and so when people start, let's say, coloring outside the lines and doing things that are a little bit different, I think the reaction for a lot of people, because society has taught us this, is to try to say, what, what are you thinking about 400 square feet? You know, that's why you haven't really gotten a whole lot of positive reaction. People will just question their thinking in their brain, 400 square That's not, yeah, who does that? But, you know, that's who I'll, I'm always pulled towards are the people the, that think outside the lines, that are the renegades that are going to sell everything and move to Ecuador. They're going to sell everything and get in their RV. That's a risk. And I love risk takers. And even do a, doing a cabin in the woods at 400 square feet, following your passion, checking off your bucket list. I mean, it's a risk, but one that I applaud you for, because that's fantastic. It's not that big of a risk because I have snowshoes. Hey, you have a snowmobile? No, no, no. Good heavens, no. (laughs) Snowshoes work for me. I keep on pulling back to the book. It comes with a workbook. What do we do in the workbook? Well, in the workbook, what I find is there are a lot of people out there that don't know their current numbers. And so uh, it's an exercise of working through where are you today? Uh, most people will say, hey, my mortgage is this and my interest rate is that. But then when they you start unpacking other areas, they're like, I don't know. So it's like, let's get a snapshot of where you are today. The second part of the book is let's do some projections, you know, sort of based on what you're going to do. You know, are you going to travel or, or what have you? What does that look like in retirement, your lifestyle? So we're going to do some projections with that. And then we tie it all together at the end. And Really what it comes down to, I've always suggested that folks don't need to really go out and buy the $3,000 financial plan that a financial advisor wants to sell them. It really comes down to what is your net income versus your monthly expenses? I mean, if you had to boil down financial planning all the way down in retirement, what is the formula? Your net income versus your, your monthly expenses. Now, there's a lot to get through to get down to that level. But that's what we do with the workbook is an exercise of let's warm you up to your numbers today and let's make some projections. Because I always tell everybody, my, what I love to, to suggest is nobody cares more about your money than you do. So be sure you're spending time looking at your numbers, have a relationship with your finances and make sure that you're planning for what's ahead. I actually uh, created a, an Excel spreadsheet, and I, I it's not as embellished as yours in terms of what, what lifestyle do you want, but just what, what lifestyle do you have, and then what's going to happen with your retirement income. Right. But I call it my, your income outgone analyzer, because yeah. you know, as you say, the, the two important things are, you know, what's coming in and what's going out. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, you know, I think a lot of times people want to make it complicated, but it really isn't. I mean, it's a fairly simple process. It's just too often people get 
paralyze. Well, we call it analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis. I mean, people get all these numbers in their head and it's just like an explosion of, I can't think any further than this, but that's, you know, it's, it's not as difficult as, as a lot of folks on TV want to make it out to be as far as putting together your retirement plan. I opened today by talking about browsing social media. That's where I found your Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have 4,000 people in that Facebook Mm -hmm. group. Can you tell the listeners about the group, uh, why you started, and how how has it grown that big? I mean, that's 4,000 people is pretty respectable. Yeah, we started the group, or I started the group back about three and a half, four years ago, four years ago. With, I enjoyed writing. So I, between the book and then I had a different website where I was just writing blogs on the various topics of personal finance. And I found that, well, you know, I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups myself. Why not create my own? So I created Retirement Made Simple. And uh, the interesting thing was, is that we would grow by 80 to 100 people a month. We did that for a year or two. And for some, I mean, as soon as we hit 3,000 subscribers, it rocketed. It's almost like 80 to 100 a week. With the group, what I try to do is is write articles that educate people, write articles that make people think, that trigger something that say, oh, yeah, I need to address that in my own situation. I mix in a little bit of humor. I grew up in, uh, as we talked, in a mortuary. So my sense of humor is a little slighted. I mean, it's a little different, but, you know, I try to put, I think everybody should laugh multiple times a day. So if I could put a smile on people's face, that's that's what I enjoy doing, as well as educating people. I mean, I, I enjoy that immensely. So we have we have that group, and then we have a uh, a Facebook page for my company, and it's got about the same amount of people as the group does. But the group is more conversational. We 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 talk about various topics. I'm sort of the DJ that just plays the music. Everybody gets involved and answers the questions. And I jump in and answer a lot of questions, but it's it's more or less just sort of a, a prompting people to think in different ways of personal finance and retirement planning. Okay. I wrote a description of your book or of your Facebook group, and uh, it's interesting hearing you describe it. And I'll read to what I've described it as. Everybody knows I come with these notes. I'll mention to listeners that many details in your group are U.S., but I will also say we can glean food for thought from how things are done in any country. With a bit of research, we can find the facts for our own country. That said, I appreciate that your posts are newsworthy, fact-based, and or have a humorous touch, or you sometimes ask a thought-provoking question. Questions from the group are intelligent. It might just get us doing a bit of digging into our own situation. Did I did I nail it? I would say that's a. <laughs> I would I would say you nailed that. Yep. Okay. I, I would say good. in every aspect you nailed it. Oh, good. Okay. What do you learn from your Facebook group? Throwing you a curve here. No, I I, I learn a lot from people. I I learn. I think it continues on the theme that I've always loved as being an advisor is the psychology of it, you know, where people are and where, you know, where they are mentally. And, and I'm surprised. And, and sometimes I, 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 I'm a little nervous when people post stuff. So I'm like, yeah, don't be posting your financial stuff online to a bunch of strangers. But, you know, it's like, it, it is, 
you know, some people are very much prepared. Some people haven't prepared. You know, the 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 number one blog that I've ever written that got the absolutely by far not even close to the second one is I did a um, I I wrote a blog about how to retire on two hundred fifty thousand, and I just went through an exercise of if that's all I had, how could I pull it off? And then I went through an exercise of five hundred thousand, and then I went through an exercise of a hundred thousand, and then I just drilled down. I wrote another one. What if I just had fifty thousand dollars? What would I do? And so the amount of people that reacted to that two hundred fifty was was amazing. So I find that people are prepared. Some people aren't prepared. I find that there are a lot of people that are not bashful about asking questions. And then I find that there's a lot of people that just sit in the corner and just soak up the information. But we have a fantastic group. I think I block about 20 spammers a day. So I try to keep everybody at bay as far as trying to get in. And I mean, our crowd is, is fantastic. And we uh, very thought provoking questions and everybody jumps in and helps everybody, which I find, I mean, that's the real reason I started the group is, is not only so I can learn more from people, but they can learn and be prompted with some of the things that I put out there that hopefully they'll take to heart and maybe put together a will that they have procrastinated on or maybe um, look at long-term care that they might need or look at different areas of personal finance that they haven't thought about. Just as you said that, it occurred to me that when I asked you what you learn, I was sort of thinking of what you learn, but given your profession, you are really getting probably a really good snapshot of the concerns, the questions, all that stuff. And so you become just that much better in your profession because you know what people are actually in their gut thinking. You're not just looking at 10, 50 clients. You're looking at 4,000 people and and the questions that repeat and the concerns that repeat and stuff like that. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, is that I would say that occasionally I will read a comment or I'll see something and I'm like, I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before, or I've never done it in that way. And after doing this for a long, long time, I've, you know, even prior to starting the group, I had met with over 8,000 individuals and couples, you know, across the table talking about finances, talking about, you know, their retirement plans. So I would say that a lot of the themes are consistent to what I've seen over my career, but occasionally there is something that I'm like, wow, that, that, that's, that's pretty clever. And oftentimes it's somebody doing, they have their own accounting. Everybody's a little different in how they manage their retirement and how they, you know, design their spreadsheets like you were talking about earlier. And so I think oftentimes if I'm coaching somebody and they send me this stuff and I'm like, Whoa, you know, that's like a, an accountant at a, you know, top three accounting firm putting that together. So, you know, with a long career, you've seen about everything, but I still am pleasantly surprised by things that pop up that I've never seen before. That's great. Okay. Before we close, before we wrap, our listeners are mostly boomers, mostly women. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want them to know or to think about as they approach the second half of life? I would say throughout my career, 70% of the time, 
these are just my stats. I would say that the woman is in charge of the finances when it comes down to a couple. And with that, the other 30%, I would say, have some involvement, but there's a 10%, let's say, that has no involvement in the finances. And I, if I, and this would be men or women if it's on the other side, uh, because I certainly see a whole lot of men, a whole lot more men that have no care about being involved in the finances. And if I have anything, any suggestion to any couple, it's to really get involved and to understand. It doesn't mean that you're going to be, you have to ace the test and know exactly, you know, how a mutual fund performs or how an annuity performs or a stock. But I always suggest with couples, both parties get involved. Make sure you know, you know, what's going on, where the accounts are. And I think women do a much better job than men with that because women oftentimes will come in with spreadsheets and notebooks and everything's filed and everything's perfect. And men will come in with, you know, just stuff scattered all over the place and no plan. And I'm not bashing us men, but it's the truth. That's what I've seen in my career. So if anything, any message that I would leave is to be sure you're involved with your spouse and your finances and make sure that you understand where the properties are. If you have rental houses, you understand where the accounts are. You go to the financial advisor meetings and that you're involved and you're learning. It's a process oftentimes, but that'll be a huge benefit if that spouse, other spouse ever passes away. That was the major person taking care of the finances. Because I've seen it way too often where the the one managing the finances passes away and the other is lost. And I hate those situations because it's preventable. And we don't always get time before we pass away to pass on the information. You know, exactly. like get hit, hit by the proverbial bus and that person, the other person that's left is like, <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, is that there's generally with spouse, I and mean, there's no secrets. It's more or less just one spouse is not as involved as the other. And, you know, if I'm talking to the one that's not involved, I would say it's really to your benefit to jump in and get involved. Yeah. Good. Okay. Where do people find you on the World Wide Web? Well, I have a website. Uh, it, it is livefreeretirementadvisor.com. I have the Facebook group, which is Retirement Made Simple. And... I have a Facebook page, which is Live Free Retirement Advisor. And so that's generally, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but those are the places that generally folks can find me. Okay. I always put links in the show notes, so they will be there or on the website page. Okay, listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. If you're listening at twoboomerwomen.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave comments there. We can be found at Apple, Stitcher, iHeart, most places a person would listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave comments there and leave stars and reviews. They help us grow. Before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. And share this episode with a couple of friends who are trying to decide what retirement looks like for them. Hearing from others can only widen our view and hey, maybe give us a great idea for our own lives. Knowing that others have successfully embarked on an adventure similar to one we're considering is really validating. 
If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, there's an application form at the website. Eric Gaddy, thank you so much for being my guest on Two Boomer Women today and for giving us more insights into that clean slate called retirement. Well, thank you so much for having me, Agnes. I enjoyed my time here. Yeah, it was so enjoyable. Thank you. Have a great rest of the week. You too.